Democrats expose their true belief about white people. I always personally really enjoy when the Democrats expose their true agenda. And this, um, when I, I have to admit, when I first heard this story, when I first saw this on Twitter, actually, I suspected that it might be a hoax because it was just too perfect. So there's this group in Dallas, Texas called Dallas Justice Now. DJN is what they call themselves, and they are a group fighting for racial equity. And they make sure, by the way, to mention that they're a nonprofit group fighting for racial equity. So this group, Dallas Justice Now, sent a letter in the mail to wealthy white parents in a particular neighborhood in the state of Texas. And this is what the letter read. By the way, we know that this letter was sent because someone who received it shared it with a friend who posted it on Twitter, and that went viral. This is what the letter read to these white parents, these wealthy white parents. Quote, we are writing to you because we understand you are white and live within the Highland Park Independent School District and thus benefit from enormous privileges taken at the expense of communities of color. By the way, they don't mention how exactly these privileges have been taken at the expense of communities of color, as if these neighborhoods exclude people of color. Black people aren't allowed to live there. They certainly are if they want to. They don't mention that. They just say, you live in the whitest and wealthiest neighborhood in Dallas. Whether you know it or not, this is the thing about democratic quote-unquote racism these days or the racism allegations from the Democrats, you can't atone for it. And if you feel that you're not racist because you don't demean another person based on the color of their skin, it's just internalized and implicit. You can't help it and there's nothing you can do about it. They say, whether you know it or not, you earned or inherited your money through oppressing people of color. Can you imagine going about your life, just driving to the office, maybe you're an accountant and uh, your regular life, you're oppressing people of color by making a living and living in a neighborhood. Okay. However, they say, it is also our understanding that you are a Democrat and supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement, which makes you one of our white allies and puts you in a position to help correct these cruel injustices. Yes, atone for your whiteness. They say, we need you to step up and back up your words with action and truly sacrifice to make our segregated city more just. Segregated city, they say. Again, black people are allowed to live in this neighborhood. No law, no rule against it. They say, we are asking you to pledge that your children will not apply or attend any Ivy League school or US News and World Report top 50 school. If you do not have children under 18, then we ask you to pledge to hold your white, privileged friends, family, and neighbors with children to this standard. Imagine that. Imagine if you knocked on your neighbor's door and said, I'm sorry, you should not allow your child to apply for XYZ school because you're white and it's my responsibility to bother you, my neighbor, about it. These people are nuts. They say, these schools have afforded white families privilege for generations. Having your children attend these schools takes away spaces from students of color who really need the job opportunities, education, and influence that these schools provide. Pause for just a second here. This is actually a very, very racist point that they make in this letter, meaning these these black people running Dallas Justice Now are essentially saying that black children and black students are inferior to white students, as if black students wouldn't get accepted to Ivy League schools if white students apply. That's racist. That's literally telling black children that they can't succeed, that they're dumber than white children unless white children step aside. Racist, racist. So they go on to say, we know that this sounds like a tough commitment to make, but it is truly disheartening to see wealthy white folks sending charitable donations, posting hashtag Black Lives Matter on social media, or putting up yard signs as if to say that minimal effort is all they're prepared to do in the fight for racial justice. In that sense, I mean, they do actually have a point. There's a lot of virtue signaling that happens on the left. 
Then they say, the quest for justice requires commitment from our white allies, and we thank you in advance for your anticipated cooperation in making such a commitment. Thank you for making our city more just. To sign the pledge, please visit www.dallasjustice.org. Sincerely, Dallas Justice Now. So hilarious, absolutely hilarious letter. I was pretty sure that this was a hoax. I was pretty sure that this couldn't be such a perfect representation of how ridiculous Democrats are until um, until I delved more deeply into this. And we'll get to that in just a second. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Let's briefly talk about our security and our safety on the internet for a second. How do you like the idea of getting out your laptop and conducting a Google search and someone's looking over your shoulder. It's pretty creepy, right? Let's talk about ExpressVPN for a second. So if you don't like the idea of somebody looking over your shoulder when you're conducting a Google search, when you're typing whatever you're typing into your search bar, then you need to protect yourself online because your internet service provider can look at every single website that you've ever visited. They literally creep on your browser history. And then they take what they find on your browser history and they sell your information to advertising companies who then target you based on what your internet service provider has sold them about your personal information. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so that your internet service provider cannot see the sites that you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. It doesn't matter what device you're on, one button and you're protected. So protect your online activity today. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Liz, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Liz. Expressvpn.com slash Liz to learn more so that you don't have any little creepies creeping over your shoulder when you're trying to Google things and looking at your search history and then selling it. Expressvpn.com slash Liz. Okay, so I dug a little deeper into this because I thought this seemed like a perfectly crafted hoax because how could you, how could you expose? If as a conservative, you're sitting here saying, I bet that all these Democrats are virtue signaling, let's actually put them to the test, see how much they're willing to give up for uh, that which they claim to stand for, right? This idea of racial equity. Would they actually be willing to sacrifice their own family, their own opportunities? If I were crafting a hoax to try to expose Democrats, this is exactly what I would do. I would, I would create an organization just like Dallas Justice Now. However, Dallas Justice Now, their Twitter account, this is what they tweeted in the wake of uh, this hullabaloo, because there's been a lot of reaction to this letter, obviously. They tweeted, quote, last week, we asked our white allies to step up and do their part to end the multi-trillion dollar racial wealth gap. First off, we wanna thank the many people who have reached out to thank us and support our efforts. We knew not everyone would be happy about us asking some of the wealthiest folks in Dallas to make minor sacrifices to give hundreds of thousands of black and Latinx students opportunities they have been denied for centuries, end quote. So I want to go back up to the first part of this tweet. This is a huge problem in the Democrat Party right now and something that sounds very similar but is actually very different. And what I'm talking about is the distinction between equity and equality. Racial equity versus racial equality. So the idea of racial equality means that every person, regardless of their skin color, is equal under the law. And then culturally, it means that everyone has equal opportunity, right? That you can achieve what you want to achieve based on your own effort. And because of the color of your skin, you won't be 
um, disallowed or to, from doing something or something won't be illegal for you to try. That's equal opportunity, racial equality. But racial equity means equal outcome. And the only way to achieve equal outcome for every single person is to hold certain people back, to discriminate against certain people who otherwise, based in a meritocracy, would have finished first. So those people who would have finished first, depending on what their immutable characteristics are, what color their skin is, what gender they are, they may face actual discrimination or violation of their rights in order to achieve this idea of racial equity. And this is actually what Dallas Justice now admits. They admit that they want to hold some people back. And this is what they say, we knew not everyone would be happy about asking some of the wealthiest folks in Dallas to make minor sacrifices. Well, these sacrifices, what does that mean? These sacrifices is being held back, means that children would be held back based on their skin color so that other children of a different skin color could have this opportunity. And I, I, I don't even like to use the phrase have this opportunity because it's really not the same opportunity if there's not competition, if it's not the entire country battling for these few spots in an Ivy League school. That's one of the reasons the Ivy League schools, and I know they're corrupted with uh, radical leftism right now, but putting that aside just for a second, the, the level of academia that these Ivy League schools are known for is partially because of the competition to get in, because they draw the best and the brightest, not just from our country, by the way, but from all over the world. But Dallas Justice now wants white kids to be discriminated against so that black kids can have this opportunity. Again, it's so racist and so demeaning. Democrats believe, Democrats in this group believe that black kids can't succeed next to white kids. I would love for some black parents of black children to stand up and say, listen, my kid is perfectly capable on their own merits of achieving success. I don't need white people to be so condescending, so demeaning, and so racist to say, oh, if you want to succeed, I'll go ahead and step aside. Because in a one-to-one -one competition with you, because of my skin color, I'll certainly succeed. My child will certainly succeed. I would love black parents to step up and say, that's so racist and so demeaning, and we don't want that. We want our children to succeed on their own merits. So another reason, by the way, that Dallas Justice Now is exposing um, this virulent racialism that is uh, the foundation of the Democrat Party right now is if they actually thought that this particular school district, this particular wealthy white neighborhood in Texas, actually did afford educational opportunities that are better than other neighborhoods in Dallas, if they actually wanted to solve that problem, they wouldn't try to discriminate against white children. They wouldn't tell white children to step aside so that black children can step into their place. No, they would advocate for school choice because if it's actually the school system in Dallas that's affording the white kids better educational opportunities, then children from other school districts, maybe they want to compete for those, for those spots. Maybe a system where you're not forced to attend a public school based on your zip code would be the best solution here. Or what happens when we have a voucher program system? it raises the bar at other schools too so that there's not just one really good public school in one really wealthy district. The, the bar, the academic bar at other schools is raised by, by competition. And so if your child does go to the local public school, it's not as bad of an education as perhaps it used to be. But again, Dallas Justice Now says nothing about school choice, nothing about creating new opportunity. They act as if opportunity is finite based only on the color of your skin and therefore they want to identify and define every person by the color of their skin and deprive white children of opportunities so that black children can succeed. So racist. There's another word for it too. It's called greed and envy. 
greed and envy. That's what this is essentially based on. So again, I don't think this is a hoax. I looked into it. It looks real. If it is a hoax, it's extremely elaborate. So like I said, I'd, I'd give it 95.5% chance. But if it is a hoax, it's one of the best hoaxes ever to expose the Democrats' true feelings about white people, true feelings about race, and their true agenda here, as well as um, to hold virtue-signaling Democrats who claim to be these allies for radical leftists, hold their feet to the fire because they're not going to sacrifice any of this stuff um, just for just for that sign in their front yard. Okay, this was one of the funniest things that I saw on the internet over the weekend, and Tucker Carlson was accosted. He was on vacation with, I think, with his family. He said he was with his daughter in the state of Montana. They were in a fly fishing shop, and a fly fishing guide, I believe he was, accosted Tucker Carlson and said some horrible things to him. Take a listen to this. I don't care, man. Just kidding. You are the worst human being. You've known to man. I want you to donate to this thing, to the United States, to everything else in this world. I don't care that your daughter's here. What you have done to people's families, what you have done to everybody else in this world. Son. Don't call my son, but one. Settle down, son. Tucker Carlson, I think, always bridges the gap perfectly between getting just a little bit of a jab, a little bit of a condescending jab in there, which the fly fishing guide certainly deserved, without escalating it to any kind of physical confrontation. There's no point, there's no political point, no larger political point in showing you this video. I just found it to be extremely entertaining and thought that um, you would too. It is difficult to be in the public eye. Kudos to Tucker Carlson for handling it with grace and poise, especially when he's on vacation. He's trying to relax. He's with his family. He's trying to get out of the fray. Um, the only political point that I would have is I'm a little surprised that Democrats are into fishing. It seems like a, a little more of a traditional activity. It seems like uh, not something that maybe the environmentalist left would like, but like I said, no big point here. It's just a very entertaining video. Speaking of the bald men who watch my show, were we speaking of that? Um, let's talk about Nutrafol for a second. I've gotten a lot of feedback on these ads because a lot of you are interested in this topic but unsure about the product because so many of these products are iffy. Not the case with Nutrafol. Uh, Nutrafol is non-pharmaceutical. It is holistic. Those of you who know me know that I'm really green. I'm really crunchy. I'm really holistic. I don't like prescription pharmaceuticals. I do like natural solutions, holistic solutions to things. Two things. So if you are looking to grow thicker, healthier hair, if you're looking for more scalp coverage, uh, if you are one of the balding men who is interested in this, give this a try. Give this a try. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code Liz to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, Free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Liz. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. It's really important to put the promo code part in there if you want to support our show and if you want to grow thicker, healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. So Andy Slavitt, you might be familiar with his name. He's a former uh, Biden administration advisor on COVID-19. He's a total nut. This guy is absolutely outrageous. Almost every single thing that comes out of his mouth, whether it's in person or on Twitter via his keyboard, is totally nuts. Even the Biden administration doesn't rely on him anymore. However, when he says things, he is part of the unofficial team 
um, of setting narratives about COVID. So when he tweets something, watch over the next week or two and liberal media outlets and other Democrats pick up whatever he's saying. He's one of the narratives setting the rhetoric, uh, the leaders of rhetoric in the Democratic Party. So he said recently this weekend that employers and schools should mandate COVID-19 vaccines. This was his direct quote. Your employer, college, school, or favorite venue can and should require vaccinations as a condition of entry. The only option not to would be a daily negative test, end quote. We did such a good job, the conservative movement, you and I, did such a good job at the beginning of COVID of making sure that vaccine passports did not happen. The Democrats are not going to stop trying, so we cannot say, we cannot just chalk that up as a win and say, we did really good, that's not going to happen, let's go about our business, COVID will end. No. This, they are going to push as hard as they possibly can, and if you need motivation to fight back on this, and I don't think very many people need motivation because most of us feel very strongly about how incredibly dangerous vaccine passports would be, and the reason for that is because where would a power grab like this end? If we allow what I would call quasi-mandates, not the government mandating the vaccine, but private industry that is certainly influenced by politicians and public health officials, if we allow quasi-mandates to infiltrate our private sector and make it so that if you are not vaccinated, you really can't operate in regular life, where does it end? What's the limiting principle on this? This is what I've said all along with all kinds of vaccine mandates, by the way. It, it has nothing to do with being pro-vax or anti-vax. It has to do with people's fundamental freedom versus the government being all-powerful and all-controlling. What is the limiting principle? If the government can declare you to be a public health risk just based on the fact that you haven't gotten an experimental vaccine, then what can't they force you to do? What can't they use to label you a problem, to label you an emergency, to label you a danger and keep you labeled as such until you've taken the action that they want you to take. I truly don't see a limiting principle on this. And so this is, this is coming around for round two. The Biden White House is using a very slimy strategy, which no one should fall for, particularly conservatives, but they're using the strategy, uh, or they're going to use the strategy, watch for this to happen, mark my words. They're going to use the strategy of, of once the vaccine is not just under emergency authorization use, once it is quote unquote fully FDA approved, they are going to use that to push vaccine mandates. So you can see the beginnings of this already. The Biden White House is already signaling their intent to do this. Take a listen and listen very closely because Biden's very incoherent in this clip. Listen very closely to what he says at the very end about FDA approval of the COVID vaccine. Take a listen to this. That's underway, just like the other question is illogical. And I've heard you speak about it because you always, I'm not being solicitous, but you, you're always straight up about what you're doing. And the question is whether or not we should be in a position where you uh, um, are, why can't the, the, the experts say, we know that this virus is in fact, uh, um, uh, it, it, it's going to be, uh, or excuse me, we, we, we know why all the drugs approved are not temporarily approved, but permanently approved. Yeah. That's underway too. I expect that to occur quickly. Well, that means, you mean for the FDA? For the FDA. Yeah. So Joe Biden, very, I mean, I'm, I'm laughing, but it's not funny to see the, the leader of the free world, the president of the United States, so deeply incoherent, it's hard to actually put 
a period at the end of any of those sentences because he interrupts himself constantly. Essentially, he's signaling that the FDA approval of the vaccine might happen by the end of this year. And he admits that the Biden White House, the administration is putting pressure on the FDA to obtain this approval. Now, first of all, this should not be political. If it's science, there's nothing that you should be able to do to push this to be quicker because FDA approval should be contingent on years of studies, years of long-term safety studies before this vaccine is considered fully safe or fully approved. That's the first thing. The second thing is this is just a rhetorical strategy. The FDA is not an independent regulatory agency. The FDA is deeply corrupted. It's actually a sub-agency of of, um, health and human services. Health and human services is headed by Javier Becerra. So FDA approval is a political thing. We know this. If we look at big government, we know how corrupted, I mean, we saw this in the CDC and now we see this in the FDA. The FDA is deeply tied to big pharma. Big pharma wants full approval from the FDA for their vaccines. Why? Because then private industry can mandate it and big pharma profits. The FDA is deeply tied to big pharma. Even even the FDA's new top regulator, her name is Patrizia Cavazzoni. Before she worked for the FDA, she worked for two decades for big pharma. She even worked at Pfizer itself. And then she worked for the government. And typically what happens is it's the other way around. Typically a government employee of the FDA or the CDC will work for the government for a few years. And then, oh, lo and behold, when they leave the government, all of a sudden they start earning a nice, big, fat, juicy paycheck from big pharma. It's called cashing out. It's not against the law and it's widely known how this happens. But Obviously, I don't even need to explain why this creates red flags, why this is an ethically gray area to say the least, because essentially what happens then is if you're working in the government at the FDA or the CDC and you have power to regulate or to approve or to expedite the process or to give favors to big pharma in any way, that creates a conflict of interest because what if you gave favors just so that you could get a fat, juicy paycheck after you were out of the government? And there's no way to prove this exactly, but we all know it happens. Again, that's why it's called cashing out. So FDA approval will mean nothing scientifically, nothing ethically. The only thing it'll mean is it'll be an excuse for government to mandate it because people will no longer be able to say, you and I will no longer be able to say, well, this is an experimental vaccine. We don't want to be part of an experiment. We don't have any long-term safety data on this. The studies are incomplete. The FDA hasn't approved it. We won't be able to say that. And so the government and then government-influenced private industry will use that as an excuse to mandate it. And what bureaucrat that works in the FDA would ever counter the entire Democrat COVID narrative from the last 18 months by saying, actually, this vaccine isn't safe enough. The data that we're getting is not good enough to fully approve it. That would never happen. So it's just a political thing that Joe Biden is doing. So he's getting ready. He's getting ready to use that, to use that rhetorical strategy. Like I said, watch for it, listen for it, mark my words. The mainstream media is also in on this. They are at work teeing up this narrative that the FDA approval of the vaccine or this potential FDA approval would mean mandates or would make mandates appropriate. NBC is a good example of this. This is what uh, an article recently about upcoming pending vaccine mandates. This is what they said. The official regulatory sign-off 
would remove a significant legal and public relations barrier for businesses and government agencies that want to require vaccination vaccinations for their employees and customers, former health officials from the Biden and the Obama administration said. That's a quote from the NBC article. So they just gave away the strategy. It's not only good for PR, it removes any legal compunctions that these places might have, the government or private industry. This is how they're going to do it. This is how they're going to do it. Mark my words. So stand up against it. Refuse, refuse to be part of this. If half of the country says, no, we're not going to participate in this, then there's no way that they can make that happen. It's like I said last week about the mask mandates in LA County. Don't do it. If enough people refuse to comply, the government cannot enforce it. That's the same with this. So meanwhile, we've seen the narrative change on the vaccine itself. At first, we were told, get the vaccine. Everyone should get the vaccine because it's 100% effective. We were told 98% effective, something like that. Well, now, six, eight months later, Pfizer is saying, well, the vaccine actually does allow for COVID-19 infection, but it prevents severe cases of COVID-19. It prevents deaths, not actual COVID-19. Now, I have no idea if that's true or not. I have no idea. However, what this does is it ruins another narrative from the left. Now, you might remember the president of the United States talking about an epidemic of the unvaccinated. He's blaming everyone who hasn't gotten a vaccine for all of the COVID cases that we still do see. But here's the thing, how can that be? How can it be an epidemic of the unvaccinated if, vac- if Pfizer says that their vaccine still allows infection? And in fact, if the Pfizer vaccine still allows infection, but it's less severe, then there's gonna be more asymptomatic cases. So how do we know that all the COVID cases around our country right now aren't being spread by asymptomatic vaccinated people? Just a thought experiment. Of course, public health officials and politicians in the mainstream media lie and then change their narrative as it is debunked. But this one is an especially nefarious one and especially egregious one because it's essentially blaming unvaccinated people for the death of others. It's not true. Here's the thing too. The fully or the vulnerable populations in our country are are in general vaccinated at this point. And everybody else in our country has access to the vaccine except small children. Everybody who wants the vaccine can get it, which means that people who haven't gotten it, they're not, they're not refusing or declining to get it because of misinformation or lack of access. They're choosing not to. We've talked about this before. I don't need to go over it again. But vulnerable people are vaccinated and everybody else has access to the vaccine if they want it. The thing is, we still have no end of this pandemic in sight, politically, no end in sight. Because the idea that our country will somehow reduce its COVID caseload to zero COVID versus measuring hospitalizations and deaths. This goal of zero COVID is a political strategy. It's a political strategy in the sense that it's a forever strategy to continue to allow power grabs. Zero COVID is never going to happen. Never. But if that's what we're waiting for, then we'll be waiting forever. And in the meantime, Politicians will continue to use COVID to accumulate power and violate your rights. Now, you might be thinking, well, we are experiencing an uptick. We are experiencing um, another wave of COVID this summer. And here's what I would say on that. It's a seasonal peak. It's expected. And it's actually not that big of a deal. And I don't, I don't mean that with any disrespect to the people who are suffering and the people who are dying. I'm saying numbers-wise, it's nothing compared to last year. 
So first of all, case numbers continue to mean nothing, just as they almost always have, because of the high cycle threshold in PCR tests. So cases mean absolutely nothing. You could test positive while you're actively sick. You could test positive not even being sick at all, asymptomatic. You could test positive two months after you were sick. So case numbers mean just about nothing. Right now, we're about, if you look if you look at the trajectory of this outbreak, we're about a week away from the seasonal peak right now. Um, this happened in the South during the summer last year, just like it's happening this year. But this year, deaths are way down and hospitalizations are way down. Take a look at this uh, graphic. That was July of 2020. And you can see the peak of deaths that happened in the middle of the summer. See that right around July, the end of July? Okay, we'll compare that to this year. This is June and July of 2021. Look at the peak of deaths happening in, in the summer. Again, we're almost maybe a week away from that. And then compare that to this. This is the number of excess deaths that happened last year versus the number of excess deaths that are happening happening this year. As you can see from that graphic on your screen, and I'll describe it for those who are listening and not watching, the number of excess deaths right now during June and July of 2021 is about normal. It's about where we were before the beginning of this pandemic. Compared to this time last year, excess deaths were up quite a bit. That's the truth about what's happening right now, but because politicians are embracing this zero COVID strategy with these really inaccurate case counts because of the high cycle thresholds on PCR tests, they're using this as an excuse to restrict our freedoms again. That's what we're seeing with the mask mandates. Fauci's talking about a national mask mandate. They're using it to try to push vaccine, vaccine mandates. Don't allow it to happen. And any politician who allows it to happen, vote them out of office. So I know there's a lot of controversy about the Olympics this year, and I get that. I do, but I have to say I absolutely love the Olympics. I have since I was a small child. I used to um, badger my parents to let me stay up past my bedtime so that I could watch the finals because they always show the finals at 9.30, 10.30, 11.30. Now is no different. I should be going to bed when my baby goes to bed, and I've been staying up late to watch the finals, and I'm, I'm so enamored. I know viewership is down 33%, but I've been watching every second. In fact, I was a high school swimmer. And I've been watching the swimming, and last night I actually, I was holding my baby, and I woke her up because I was bouncing with excitement watching the finals of this stuff. Um, there's two points I want to make that, I w- that, that have been brought up, I suppose, in my mind, watching the Olympics and hearing people criticize, you know, athletes that are being un-American, essentially, by going to represent our country, which is the point of the Olympics, and then publicly being disrespectful to our country or planning to be disrespectful. Um, first of all, they shouldn't do that. The only the only time that I've been happy to see an American lose is I was happy to see the U.S. men's basketball lose to France. I don't know if I was happy, but it seemed a little bit karma, right? Because LeBron and some of the other top U.S. basketball players are just too good to play for the U.S. in the Olympics. So that's what happens when you're an egomaniac and woke. Um, you lose to France of all places. But the LeBron thing is actually even worse because he said he declined playing for the United States in the Olympics this year because he said he was going to play um, basketball in Space Jam 2, that movie that he was in that you probably didn't see because nobody did and the people that did see it didn't like it. Well, he said that he was going to focus on that instead of representing our country. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. China still won't allow that movie to air. Now, this is important because so many people in Hollywood, so many movie companies, movie makers, and so many movie stars, although I hate to call LeBron that, um, are kowtowing to Chinese Communist Party propaganda because they want their movies to air in the Chinese market. 
LeBron James is no different. He refused to stand up for Hong Kong, as you remember, when China was abridging the rights of the free people in Hong Kong. He trashed the First Amendment here in the United States. And still, even though China threw the United States under the bus, he refused to represent us in the Olympics. He essentially uh, kissed the tail of uh, the Chinese president. China still won't allow it to air. And this is what it cost. This is what it cost. Space Jam 2 cost $200 million to make, and it's going to profit approximately 60 or $70 million. That means hundreds of millions of dollars are being lost because China won't air this movie, even though LeBron James sucked up to China. They still won't air it. So what a loser. LeBron, of course, a loser. Nothing is ever good enough for China. That's the thing. And that brings me to my other point. The 2022 Olympics are supposed to be held in Beijing, China. And I... This is a tough one because as an athlete myself and then as an avid viewer, I don't want the United States to boycott the Olympics. I don't. I know that it would just devastate the careers of so many American athletes and athletes around the world if they joined us. And as a viewer, as I said, I really enjoy watching them and I don't want to miss that either. However, some things are more important. And if we don't do something about China's human rights abuses, words and, you know, rhetorical condemnation at the UN will not stop the genocide and ethnic cleansing and violation of human rights being perpetuated on millions of people in China by the Chinese Communist Party. We have to draw a line in the sand. We can't condone this. The International Olympic Committee should not condone this. China should not be allowed to host the 2022 Olympics unless they change their ways. And like I said, this always becomes more clear to me when I watch the Olympics and I um, and I see the Chinese athletes and I see how controlled they are by the Chinese Communist Party. And those are the people that actually represent China on the world stage. Those are the people that the Chinese Communist Party supposedly treats well because they're athletes, perhaps not in training, but at least publicly. But that's not true for much of what's happening in China. If you're Christian, if you're Muslim, if you speak out against the regime, the dictatorship, the communists, if you're not a good citizen and your social credit score goes down, if you try to start a church, if you're a journalist, if you, you know, want to join Twitter and speak out on what you see, the Chinese Communist Party will silence you. They will send you to re-education camps. They will send you to concentration camps. They will abuse you. They will throw you in jail. They will kill you. And by, if we send our athletes to Beijing in 2022, what does that say? That it's just not as important? that those human lives aren't as important as entertaining the world in the Olympic Games, we have to do something. The International Olympic Committee has time to move the Olympics. They should not allow China or any nation that violates human rights so egregiously to host the Olympic Games. It's a stain on the Olympics. So the other team in the Olympics that, like I said, I don't want to say I was happy to see them lose, but I laughed a little because it seemed like karma. The U.S. women's soccer team lost, um, lost already. And the U.S. women's soccer team, as you know, um, headed by Megan Rapinoe, is very woke. They claim that they're victims. Professional athletes make their living playing a game. They claim they're discriminated against because of their gender, because they are not paid equally, they say, to men. Well, the U.S. soccer team has recently filed an appeal because a judge in May of 2020 slapped down their lawsuit in which they claimed they were, uh, their civil rights were violated based on gender. So Judge Gary Klossner, in his ruling, said the women's national team was willing to forego higher bonuses for benefits, such as greater base compensation and the guarantee of a higher number of contracted players, 
Accordingly, plaintiffs cannot now retroactively deem their CBA, collective bargaining agreement, worse than the uh, men's national team CBA by reference to what they would have made had they been paid under the men's national team pay-to-play terms structure when they themselves rejected such a structure. So let's parse that for a second. So the women's national team claims that they're victims. They claim that they aren't paid equally to the men. This judge then says, well, wait a second. This pay structure that the men's team enjoyed, you were offered that exact same pay structure and you said no. They rejected the same pay structure as the men did. They were given the opportunity to have the same pay structure and they said no because they know the truth that they don't earn as much. They don't have the same earning potential because of viewership and advertisers as the men do. Imagine for a second if Rachel Maddow demanded the same pay as Rush Limbaugh because she also hosted a show. She said she was discriminated against. This is hypothetical. If she said she was discriminated against because Rush Limbaugh earned more money than she did. Well, the audience size is just a little bit different, which means the advertising revenue is just a little bit different. So earn the same audience, earn the same advertisers, my bet is you'll earn the same money. But the women's national soccer team knows the truth. Like I said, I'm not ever happy to see the United States lose, even if I think that those who are representing the United States are losers. Um, but I wasn't super sad to see the women's soccer and the men's basketball um, out. At least they're going to be out of the news cycle here, um, hopefully for a little while. Okay, speaking of sports, one more note on sports. This is not Olympic, but the Cleveland Indians announced that they're going to change their name. They're going to drop... Indians. They're not going to be the Indians anymore. They're going to change their name to the Guardians. Now, the Cleveland Indians baseball team has been the Indians since 1950. And here's what I don't get about the woke outrage about this. This was not a derogatory representation of Indians. You don't pick a mascot that you consider to be weak or that you consider to be negative or that you consider to be easily defeated or that you consider to be anything, anything negative. I mean, there's no other way to put that. This was not a derogatory representation of the name Indians. And so when the owner of the Cleveland Indians, his name is Paul Dolan, he wrote in a letter, he said, Indians will always be part of our history just as Cleveland has always been the most important part of our identity. So what does that mean? He's literally erasing Indians from history. His choice, this man, he's erasing Indians from the history of this team. Which is funny because... Woke people already claim that white people erase Native American history. The whole thing is just ridiculous. And then the reason that he said that he made this decision to eliminate the name Indians, he said in December, the decision in December came from, quote, an awakening or epiphany in the wake of George Floyd's death. In the wake of George Floyd's death, what on earth does that have to do with the name of the Cleveland Indians? I mean, the things that people, the lengths that people will go to be woke. George Floyd's death, I mean, is he... Did he identify as Native American? Was the cop wearing a Cleveland Indians hat? I mean, this is so ridiculous, so absurd. Um, it's also a really stupid name. The Cleveland Guardians. Oh, that's so embarrassing for them. Okay, so something funny happened just a couple of weeks ago. Our great and powerful producer, Jay Hay, was at the TPUSA conference and walking down an aisle at this conference in between speeches. And a young man approached him and said, hey, are you Jay Hay? So he said, yes. And he said, hey, I love you on Liz Wheeler's show. So super funny. Love that story. Whoever that was, um, write in. Tell me who you are. That's really funny. Jay Hay also received a review on Apple Podcasts on the Liz Wheeler show. And this is what it says. The review says, we want to hear 
Jay, hey, smiley face. Out of all the news political podcasts that I listen to, you are perhaps my favorite and the one that I will stop anything else I'm listening to to hear. Keep up the good work. I want more content. End quote. Now, to be honest, at first I suspected that this might have been Jay Hay's wife that wrote this. Um, however, a little sleuthing found out that it's not because in this review, Jay Hay was spelled J A Y H A Y, and Jay Hay is just J H A Y. So please identify yourself if you're the one who is this uh, fan of Jay Hay, because we want to know who you are. Um, that is all the time we have for today. We will be back tomorrow. So in the meantime, Think for yourself, use critical thought, question authority, follow the facts. Do not let government or corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. We read them all, as you can plainly see. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant Editor, Michael Wall. Sound Mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-Production Manager, Victoria Metzel. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. And Production Assistant, Mickey Pisani. This has been a Soundfront production.